0: theultimatecoachbook.com. Now, enjoy today's conversation from B.
1: Hello and welcome back. My name is Philip Batu and today is a unique episode of the Ultimate Coach podcast. Now, for most people, when they hear the name Steve Hardison, they think of the Ultimate Coach, the man who has people fly in from all over the world to experience transformational coaching. But for my guest today, Blake, Steve Hardison is dad and Amy is mom. And today we get to discover a brand new perspective of both Steve and Amy from the perspective of Blake. So good to have you with us today, Blake. Thank you for being here.
2: Philip, thanks for having me. You're going to have to excuse me. I'm getting over cold so my uh, voice might be cutting in and out but I wouldn't miss it I'm very excited to be with you
1: and I love that commitment you know I mean a lot of people would have said hey you know what Philip I'm I'm not feeling well let's let's reschedule and um, you know you're here and that's you know in a way that I, I've had conversations with your dad where he could barely speak he was like <laughs> losing his voice and you know he he was just he was right there um, and so, yeah, thank you. thank you for um, for being here. Um, how, how would you like to just introduce yourself today? Oh, yeah, you know,
2: I, I love how you teed it up. It's interesting as I've read um, the Ultimate Coach: The Book of Being, I think I have an interesting perspective on it. you know there's uh, I guess everyone has their own perspective on it, but as I've read it um there's moments where it's, I just stand back and I think that's my dad and that's my mom who wrote it. And I just have this immense amount of love. Like I I could read it from the perspective of like, Hey, you know, there's this distinction that could help me in my own life. Don't get me wrong. Like those occur, but something that's deeper for me is (laughs) I have this one relationship with the father and I have this one relationship with the mother And that's one of the most precious things in the world for me. So I just have this amount of pride and love and care for those two people. Um, Man, if the conversation goes that way, I just love to talk about what it's like to um, love or respect a parent. And then also Mm -hmm. I'm the father of a six-year-old, a five-year-old and a two-year-old and being a dad and a husband, there's nothing more important to me. So I think people know who've read the book. I've actually hired my father to coach me and he charged me, uh, the normal fees. Um, what I want out of life is not to be the next great businessman. It's not to be the next great, uh, fill in the blank. But what I care about is I care about being a good father. And so if we want to kind of sit in that, I'd love to spend some time
1: there. Oh, that's so beautiful. Well, I'd like to, yeah, and I'd like to come back to you with some some of those things that you said. But just to just to start off, with, like what, what does me being a father even mean to you?
2: Uh oh man, it, it depends where where you catch me. So I'm sick, like we talked about, and so so my wife could get some sleep. I slept on the couch last night because I was tossing and turning, and my uh, six year old son, soon to be seven year old son. <laughs> he woke me up four times last night in the very little slump that I that I had, and that's a portion of what it's like to be a, a father, right? Like when I barely mm-hmm. have enough gas to go, um, I had to give the little that I had to help him. And mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, would I have liked to slept the the time that I had? Yeah, like I would have preferred that. Yeah, but I enjoyed the time that I had with him, right? Like yeah. when he woke me up because he had a nightmare. The other time he woke me up because he needed some water and he didn't even wake me up to get the water. It's just where I was sleeping was on the path to get the water. And the other time he wanted to come sleep on the couch next to me. And I don't even remember the fourth time what he was, hmm. needed did to wake me up. But where I feel really lucky is I, I don't even know what it is, but there wasn't any angst or aggravation of being woken up. It's like, I just love being around my son. Like I just genuinely love being around my son. So for me, that's in part what it is to be a father. It's like, it's not, um, dang, how do I handle this situation? It's like, I had joy of being around my son four times last
1: night. Yeah. That's so, that's so beautiful. And is that, would you say how you experience your childhood?
2: It's funny knowing that we were going to have this podcast. I thought a lot about my childhood and, there's a lot of my childhood that I don't remember and it's just what you remember as a kid. I think it's hard to remember your childhood.
1: Yeah. And there are always those like moments that you never forget. Right. Yeah. You have both of those. And, And I think
2: there's something special in that. So for example, when COVID hit, we locked down in my family, just kind of like the average family. I think we were middle of the bell curve. And so we stopped going out and I had a, a lot of memberships. That's how I have fun with my kids. Like we had a membership to the Phoenix Children's Museum when we had a membership to the uh, aquarium here local, in the, uh, here local in Phoenix. It's actually in Scottsdale. And so it was about a year and a half before we started going till those places opened up. And my son, who was I think two at the time when I took him back out and he was four at the time. I mean, I'd taken him to the Phoenix Children's Museum. Heck, I don't know, 50 times. I could spent countless hours with him. I take him to the Phoenix Children's Museum again or the aquarium again, and he didn't remember a single time that I took him there before. Like the amount of money and time I invested in those experiences, mm-hmm. he, he didn't have a memory of any of it. So it's interesting. At what age was that, that,
1: that he didn't have a memory of it? Like how old was he?
2: Uh, two and three. Okay. So he was, he was young. yeah.
1: yeah. But even
2: the concept of like, you know, what was my childhood like? I can only imagine the things that my parents did that I just have no memory of all the all the stuff they did to love and serve me.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, as you as you look back at your own childhood, what would you say were some of the defining moments that that you experienced that you remember in relationship to family life and, and to your parents? Yeah.
2: You know, that's a really good question, Philip. I think it's the small stuff Mm -hmm. that makes up like the defining moments. Like, I'm sure I had a few big moments, the watershed moments, but I I think it was a lot of the small stuff that my parents did that really made Um, uh, made me who I am or made my siblings who I am. Um, I can think of, and I think a lot of it didn't make it inside the book, but it was such a brilliant job of who my parents were and, uh, uh, for example, and they, they wouldn't highlight this themselves and I feel even a little shy doing it, but uh, there's this real culture of generosity that my dad instilled inside of our family. Like, it's just, it's just from small things to large things. There were times in my childhood where um, he heard the families in need and he would go over there, and he would drop them off a a a, a, a large check, just because they needed it. But he wouldn't tell anyone about it. And I saw that as a young, like as a kid, and that meant a lot to me. And I know that that is something that has become a large, significant part of my life and my siblings' life. And that is something that. Uh, I will do in my life and continue to mm-hmm. do when my siblings do it. And I know that that is something that I teach my kids as a six-year-old and a five-year-old and a two-year-old um, and even small things. I remember being um, in a drive-through one time, like I can still picture it. It was on McKellips road, um, somewhere between uh, I, I I've moved out to Phoenix now. So now I'm kind of forgetting the crossroads, but is on McKellips road. And my dad, just bought the food for the car that was behind us. And that Mm -hmm. wasn't like, man, I'm not pulling one instance for my kid, like for my childhood, but he would constantly be doing things to serve other people Mm -hmm. financially. And seeing that as as a kid, it, it was life-changing, not one instant, yeah, but one, one upon the other, one upon the other. And it shaped who we are. As a family, right, that it created a family culture saying you have money or you have wealth or you have resources, not just for yourself. You take care of other people like other people matter.
1: And, you know, what What I'm hearing in that as well is there was no seeking for any validation or looking good. It was um, it was just an act of generosity, an act of love, an act of caring.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You weren't, you weren't seeking anything from anyone else besides someone needed help and you served them.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. So when you get to experience that over and over and over again, it also, I imagine that also does something to your relationship with money. Have you considered that?
2: Absolutely. So it, it teaches you that there's an abundance with money, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. You grow up with like an example of abundance a a lived example of abundance i mean that's um gosh this is i think the first time i hear someone who grew up with that so i was amazing yeah it was
2: in the book i was and you know the the human uh memory it's like uh, anything i share this is the best of my memory right i think i was about six years old my dad comes home with what was called a cash keeper and it had these pouches and it had a pouch for money that you earn for savings, money earned for spendings and money that you uh, give away to charity.
1: I'm
2: mm-hmm. six years old. And it's not like if someone just set this book there to a six year old, it's like later, man, I'm like, I'm going to watch my cartoons. I'm going to go play basketball. Uh-huh. But it's my dad was being, to teach me the lessons like there was a general ledger where you take a pen and you say here's the money I earned here's where I'm divvying it up and like you start writing it down and I got lit up as a six-year-old think how hard that is as a father to get a six-year-old to get lit like inspired by like the concept of allocating your dollars and giving your money away yeah as a six-year-old I'm doing this general ledger and seeing the abundance of money And I'm doing chores. And I remember it's like the principle he taught me was 10, 10, 80, where it's, that's what he called it, where it's like, okay, you take your money, 10% of it, you give it away to charity and however you want to do that. 10% of it, you save it. And 80% of it, you use it on your expenses. And if you can save more of it, save more of it, if you can, like everyone's in a different Mm -hmm. situation. Yeah. And I remember at the time that I would get this one dollar. And I was so disappointed that i had have to exchange my dollar for dimes because I, I loved that $1 bill. And so I negotiated with my parents. It's like, hey, listen, I need to get paid more because at the end of the day, I want that $1 bill sit in my savings. So I bumped it up to like twenty five or whatever I needed to on the math so I could divvy up everything else. And so my parents really taught me this, and especially my dad yeah. taught mindset of, Hey, listen, there, there's an abundance in this world. And he wasn't using those words, right? Because right. six year old can't really get their mind around that. But as a six-year-old, I was saving up and uh he would help me see the joy of of charity as a six, seven, eight-year-old. Mm. And my you can you can count that my kids have it's I've actually searched for it on Amazon and eBay. I've tried to find a cash keeper. I can't find the exact cash keeper, mm-hmm. but my kids have a, a a makeshift cash keeper that that is living on in my kids. And they're doing charitable events and they're learning about the abundance of life. And
1: that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, also like have there been times where you just kind of forgotten about that And fell into scarcity mode?
2: Um, So I'm not sure if it's so black and white as like abundance mode and scarcity mode. But I can tell you that my parents also, in I think a very brilliant way, um, let me figure out how to do life. Like I got married young. I got married when I was 23 years old and they... I figured out finances myself. They, they were not supporting me at all. <laughs> and so I was living in an apartment that was adjacent to a trailer park. And we, I was just telling my kid, uh, my oldest boy and my two older boys, every night when I uh, put them to bed, <clears throat> they choose a number. And they don't know that number represents whatever age I was. And last night they chose an age and I tell them a story about however old I was and they love it. That's their favorite part of bedtime.
1: Oh, that's so cool. <clears throat> and
2: they chose the age where I was this age where my wife and I were living in an apartment next to this trailer park. And I said, listen, guys, we didn't go out to eat at all. And this is not an exaggeration. Like, We did not go out to eat at all because we did not have any excess income. 'Cause I wasn't making any money at the time. Like I was working in commercial real estate, but the deals hadn't started coming together. You know, you you invest a lot mm. of time before things start paying off. And um, what my parents did a really brilliant job at is they taught me the value as a six year old, the value of money, but also when things were really hard, they let me struggle. And I didn't go to them for money and they didn't I didn't want it and they didn't want it and that's when, you know, when things came together and there was success, it was that much sweeter. So I wouldn't say there was scarcity at that time, but there was the real pressure of life where right. it got to the point where I was, don't get me wrong, like compare myself to someone else. It's like, I'm not saying I was it, like, there's people who've suffered way, 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 way more, but it's like um, <laughs> the, the story I told to my kids is we only went out to eat when it was our birthday because you could go to firehouse subs and they gave you a free sub on your birthday. And I stepped out to take a business call and we had a uh, meatball sub. And it was special for my wife and I to go out to eat because we, you know, we didn't have any excess income to do that. And my wife accidentally knocked this like the sub on the floor and it's got all that marinara sauce. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine a marinara sauce falling on asphalt because we were eating outside, how that would stick in the marinara sauce and how just disgusting that would be. Mm-hmm. Well, she just picked it up and tried to pick all the asphalt and dirt out of it. And she just set it back on the table because it's like, we're not throwing that away. Right. Like we don't have that's our food and that's what we're gonna eat. So I sat back down and I I ate my dirt meatball sauce, my yeah. dirt meat stuff. So no, we we made sure that we we we've lived it all.
1: Yeah. So 23. You were not going out to eat unless there was something to celebrate. And then how old were you when you decided to hire your father as your coach? Oh, I'd have to add it up, but I think I was 25 or 26, maybe. Because that's, that's very, very young. So yeah. tell me about that. Like, what's the story? How did that, how did that even come about?
2: Um, yeah, so I, I was working in commercial real estate. Deals started happening. Um, at a fast pace. And I saw for years, I saw people go to my dad and they would walk away having these amazing experiences. They would have amazing, amazing experiences, like every single one. And I wanted to have those type of experiences. So I sat down with him and I had a conversation. I said, Hey dad, listen, I want to be a part of like, I, (laughs) I didn't say these words, but it's like, listen, I don't want to be left behind. Like I I want a part of it. And he said, okay, that's great, Blake. And you're going to have to pay me like any other client pays me. And what I, what I could see is he did. And he told me this quite candidly. He said, listen, I don't need your money but I need your level of commitment because without that level of commitment, it wouldn't work. There's too many barriers. Right. Um, And that's where it began. And it's, and it's interesting. So many people ask me about what it's like working with my dad. And I can tell you this, I, and I've just, I've introduced different clients to my dad. There is no question when they walk out of, the first meeting with him or a hundred hours of working with him, that it is going to be, um, a brilliant experience that it's going to be worth, uh, their sacrifice of flying from New York or Florida or from Australia or Argentina or the resources they put up. It's like, I don't even think in those terms, like it's a, it's a no brainer.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So what was it like for me? It's like, how could i walk past water in a desert and be like no nah, i'm good
1: you know i i just find that also speaks volumes to your humility because it it's not a given like it takes something to be willing to get coached by your dad in fact mo like most it's actually i've never heard that even before like that that story really really struck it really struck me because I wouldn't even, you know, I would even have like a lot of my own sort of hesitations that would get in the way of that. Um, How long did you work with him for? Uh, 100 hours. Wow. You did 100 hours over the space of a year. Uh, Mine was over two years. Over two years. And how did that affect your relationship with him afterwards, if anything at all?
2: Uh, No, it was great. Like, it was great. We were, um, I guess that's a funny question to answer because I didn't look at it with my relationship with my dad. I had, Mm -hmm. I had a great coaching experience. He was still my dad, right? Like I didn't walk in and I didn't say hi, the ultimate coach. Like he was still my father, right? (laughs) He was my dad, right? Yeah. But it was, um, there was multiple times where he'd say to me, like, hey, Blake, don't don't get me wrong. If like, if you're not coachable, I will fire you. I don't care that you're my son or some version of that. Right. Yeah. But I I so thoroughly wanted what he had to offer. Yeah. I don't think we ever even came close to that point because I wanted to be coached. And I think that's yeah. what, like to my earlier point, people who work with my dad, they get what they want. Like it's it's a life changing experience, so I don't feel like I had any friction at all when I was working through, like when I had that 100 hour experience because I was getting what I wanted, right? Like I was yeah. getting this, this amazing experience, so I don't necessarily view it like what was my relationship like with him? I was I was having this incredible 100 hour experience, so I, I more view it as like, man, I had this great experience. It mm-hmm. was awesome. Oh yeah, and. I was really close with my dad. Like it was yeah. like, a, it was this byproduct. Now, what's the most important thing in the world for me? My relationship with my dad. But at the time, I was so invested in the coaching experience, I was fo- focusing on the coaching experience. Like I wasn't focusing on my relationship with my dad. I was focusing yeah. on, I am being coached. Let's, let's, this is the
1: task. Yeah. For me. Um, I mean, this is a bit like the same question I'm going to ask you from your childhood, but was was there a defining moment in that coaching relationship where you really woke up to seeing something? No,
0: <laughs> it was
1: like, yeah. again, it was like just, just a lot of, um, well, you tell me, what was it? Um,
2: oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know man. For me, my experiences, I don't have I don't feel like I have a lot of defining moments in okay. my life. Like maybe I do. I feel like it's more like the sum total, right? Like mm-hmm. I go in like who I am 2 months after working with my father or 2 months or 3 months or 4 months and I look back and it's like, man, I like who I am way more 4 months into it than I did before working or 6 months or 8 mm-hmm. months. Months. yeah it, uh, it's much more that that like, oh man, one thing was said, and now my life has changed it's It's the process that was so um miraculous as opposed to just one event
1: yeah, and was there ever a time where you were like, "I don't want to do this anymore No, nope, not at all and i th- I think that also speaks about the power of commitment, you know you were all in that's what i'm hearing
2: yeah it was a it was a absolutely great experience absolutely great experience
1: and is that money you had saved up or did you have to borrow money to do that because i'm i'm just curious like how that's even possible to have that sort of money at the age of like 26 27 oh my 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 dad wouldn't let me borrow
2: money from someone I don't think I don't think that's part of the principles of our family.
1: It would you would have to create that money first. You have yeah. to
2: create that money first. Yeah, that is yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah, that makes sense. Uh, well that's 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 just fascinating. I was reading your tribute on um the ultimate coach uh, website, and there's a story about the vacuum and you wanting to be a baseball player could you share about that yeah
2: yeah so i don't remember the exact age maybe i was 12 11 12 13 somewhere in that range this goes into people ask you know what was it like to be the son of steve hardison you know did he coach you know quote coach you it's like i don't i don't know how to answer that question but i know uh he was a great father So, uh, one of the things I always say about my dad is, let me me say this before I tell this, that story. One of the things that I most appreciate about my dad is he always say to me, still does say to me, he says, there's nothing you need to do. There's nothing you need to be for me to love you. And I say that to my kids almost every night when I tuck them into bed, that's so important to me. I want my kids to know there's nothing they need to do. There's nothing they need to be for me to love them. And so when he was helping me with baseball, he didn't need me to be like this great baseball player. That's something that I wanted to be. And so when I was 11 or 12, I I really started falling in love with baseball. And I was good at a local level. Like I was one of the best all-star players on whatever the kind of like the city league is. And then... I got, um, I don't even know how it worked out. I was just a kid who loved playing baseball. Then I started playing for a team that was a travel team that went back and played at Cooperstown, New York. So a travel team, my parents would know the structure of how that, like the tryouts and all that worked better. I was just playing baseball. But we started playing all the time. And so, but when it got to that level of competition, I remember going to the tryouts and the kids were good. I mean, like, They were really, really like next level talented. And so I just, I remember being like, man, like this is, this is next level. And I'm not sure the order of when this happened, where it fell in. But what my dad did is he helped me see like, man, you can create your future with your thoughts. And so he took my catcher's mitt and on the back of the mitt with a permanent marker, he wrote the vacuum. And what he had me see is he said, Hey, any ball that's in a, in the dirt, because as a catcher, your responsibility is if someone throws a ball in the dirt, you can't let it get past you. You got to make sure you block it and keep it in front of you. He says, you're going to suck that ball up like a vacuum. He says, Blake, you are the vacuum. Nothing gets past you. So he wrote that on my mitt. And as a catcher, you see the back of your mitt on every single pitch that comes in. And so not only did he call me the vacuum, all of my teammates saw this catcher's mitt Hmm. And they started calling me the vacuum. And so we created this future that I could live into. And it was more than that. And that's like the easy, like first step of like a story that you can convey. But he created this future where it's like, I was not like, like naturally gifted, like the most talented athlete. But by the time we got to this Cooperstown tournament, and I think a lot of it goes to my father, it's like, I was, I was a really, really good player. I think the vast majority of that came to the mental aspect of the game. Yeah. That was because my father.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic story. And so practical and how that was, yeah, you can see it was, there was some talent, but it was a mindset that you had as how you saw yourself. Like you, you saw yourself as the vacuum. You created yourself as the vacuum. And that affected your performance.
2: Yeah. And I think even before that, my dad saw me as the vacuum, right? Like he had the confidence that an 11 or 12 year old probably would would never have. So he helped me see myself as the vacuum. And I think that's what's so brilliant about my father is like he he sees in others what they don't see in themselves. And then he helps them. And he might say it differently, right? So I'll even just do a caveat over everything I say. This is my perception. He might have a completely different perception of all of it, right? So this is just me speaking as me. But what I think is so brilliant, it's it's he saw it in me before I saw it in me. But then where the power really is magnified is when I see it in me. Mm. And that is where I'm able to deliver because I'm the one batting. I'm the one catching. There was something else that he did, like so I love basketball or loved basketball and i um um even man i mean like these principles that he instilled in me at such a young age so beneficial because now it's like am i playing basketball now no but it like it bleeds into every aspect of my life i i was i don't know 7 8 and i would play and i would get fouled and i mean like i'd get hit across the arm and like you open up a rule book and you read the rule book and by the letter of the law, like there's no getting around it. I was fouled, and so what does ninety nine percent of the population say it's like, "Oh, you were fouled, the ref mm-hmm. blew the call. like yeah, you say my dad wouldn't do that. He would say it's not a foul unless the ref calls it a foul, yeah, and so i'm I'm a seven year old and he's teaching me this distinction, not in these mm-hmm. words, but like an owner versus a victim, yeah, where he's Dude, like, unless he calls it, that is not a foul. I don't know any rule book you show me. Yeah, you got to learn how to finish that shot. They blow the whistle. Yeah. So, it's like, that's the type of father I was growing up with. So, it's like the same thing in life now with, like, business. It's like, hey, listen, it's not a foul unless they call a foul. Like, don't moan and complain. It's like you you just get the job done. Are you an owner? Or are you a victim? Or it's like in just life in general, it's like, are you an
1: owner or a victim? Well, it's like radical accountability. You know, there's, there's um, someone that went out of communication with me. And I tell you, my, uh, my instinct was like, Oh, this person, I was making her wrong about it. And I had to just really stop myself and look at how did I create that? And, um, you know, every part of me wanted to be like make her wrong and started to look at, you know what? There was an absence of connection that I wasn't aware of. And then, you know, looking at how can I, you know, take full account like not responsibility. I'm not responsible for her actions, but I am accountable for my impact on the world. And that that's really um, you know, hearing you say that's just reminding me of the power of, like, radical accountability. Yeah. Yeah. And it's radical because no one does that, right? We're so quick to <laughs> to judge and blame and finger point and just to stop and just totally just take full ownership. It's a very radical way of being. I'm very empowered. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, really. Yeah. Old. No, no, I just, I just love it that you shared that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Thank you for sharing what you shared as well.
1: Yeah. And you know, I, I also want to share something, what I'm hearing and all this is that I'm just listening to you. And through this conversation, I have also felt a deeper appreciation for my parents. And there's a, a story that, you know, there was a, a German man who was, he had two kids. We were living in Paris and he lost his job and he, he was like an addict of, um, you know, he was recovering from from drug addiction, tattoos all over his body. And my parents are pretty judgmental when it comes to like the way people look. But with this man, they just took him on and really, really um, wanted to help him. And there was, um, they were doing, they we were renovating a garage and transforming it into a TV room. And they hired him to do the job. And he, in a way, for me, that was the first time I just got to experience. And my parents, especially my father, really put aside judgment and feel compassion and love for another human being that would have been someone who I had imagined him, you know, judging. and. Just that experience for me was a defining moment because it showed me a way of, uh, you know, one of the things Steve says, no one is worthy of my judgment. Everyone is worthy of my love. See, I got to experience that in that moment.
2: That's beautiful. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Thanks for sharing that, Philip.
1: Yeah, Italy, the guy was a coffee addict. So he would drink, I think like five liters of coffee a day. And even then, they put a coffee maker in the room and they just made sure he got what he needed. He smoked 20 cigarettes a day. They made sure he got old, he, he was able to smoke. I There was such an openness and that was really, yeah, that really left me um, very, I was very, very touched by how they behaved, yeah so i'm 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 reminded of that just through this conversation,
2: yeah, it's something special to love yeah. so love when they when they uh when they inspire you right
1: like thats yeah when, I yeah when you when 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 years. you see that yeah, and it, everything was paid up front, and he needed the money, and he had some debt to pay off, and it was the agreement was I'm gonna give you all this money up front. And um, in return, you know, you're going to take your time and renovate this, and this is what we want to have done. But there was such a level of trust, and these because he's been a family friend for for years, years, years to come afterwards. I think we even had him, we even had him over for Christmas once. It was uh, quite, yeah, quite astonishing. Yeah. Wow!
2: Wow! That's awesome. That's great.
1: And now that you're you're a father of three. And remind me the age of your kids.
2: A six-year-old, five-year-old, and two-year-old.
1: Wow. And, you know, i am just been a father now. I'm a new dad with a three-month-old baby, Oliver. Um, so this is kind of relevant for me. What is it that you, some of the principles that you've taken on that you'd say are, are I mean, you've shared, you know, one of them around money. Uh, which is definitely different and abundance, but are there any other principles that exist in your house that you think are kind of unique?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Let me think about that so I can answer it. Um, you know, there's, there's this thing that I do. And I, I mentioned this to you when we were uh, chit chatting before we started recording, I actually, in a conversation we had earlier when my kids were born Um, oh man, I I love that we do this. So when my kids were born, we set up an email address for each one of them and, um, they have their own email address. They don't know about this. And as they do different things that I just think when they say something that's funny or when they do something that I'm really proud of, you know, life's so busy, I'll just quickly take out my phone. And I'll send myself a quick email, just talking notes, like uh, quick uh, notes on that. And then the first of every month, once the kids have gone to sleep, I'll write them an email and I will formulate that. Excuse me, I'll compile that and I'll send it to them. And so now they have this growing list of emails of things that they've done as a child. And we talked earlier today where it's just like, man, I don't remember my, uh, there's so much of my childhood that I don't remember. Or it's like, I want my kids as they grow up just to know how much their father loves them and they'll be able to go. I'm not sure. I, I don't have the the end game figured out here, but at some point I'm going to say, Hey, boys, I have these email addresses for you. And when you're two, three, four, five, and so on and so forth, look at all these, look at all these experiences that we've had together. Hmm. And I want them to be able to have that. And I think that really stems from like, I felt this real love and appreciation for my parents. And I just want, I, there's so much about parenting that is tailor-made to each kid. There's so much about parenting. And I'm sure there's so many areas where I'm going to mess up. Like so many areas where it's like, Mm -hmm. ah, it would have been more productive to do it this way. There would have been so much more productive to do it this way. But I know I love my kids. Like, I know I love you. Yeah. And if I just like lead with love, mm-hmm. I think everything will be cool. And my parents, mm-hmm. they have loved love. Are they, have they made mistakes? Absolutely, they've made mistakes, but they love me. And like, yeah. everything's cool because they love me. And I think that is what has permeated throughout my family.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I'm, I just love that. And I find it so inspiring. What That that email and something that they can treasure for the rest of their life and whenever they want, they can dip into and and just really feel that love, lead the love, recover from love. And I'm moved by what you shared earlier as well, your dad telling you and you telling your kids, there's nothing you need to do for me to love you. There's nothing for you to be for you to love me. For me to love you, it's like my love for you is unconditional, yeah, yeah, I just love you just the way you are, yeah, and I think that is um such a such a profound, deep and yeah, having that trust and that knowing um not seeking validation and approval of your parents, knowing that. That is not a requirement for their love. How much what a what would the world look like if we were all brought up that way? Yeah. You know, just think about that.
2: It's it's been such a fun experience to think of just my parents as I knew we'd have this this phone call and the unique way in which it, you know, my father's nothing if not unique, right? Right. <laughs> And so I thought like, man, what, what makes my father unique? Like what, an example of, of, of my childhood that I think other kids didn't have? Cause, cause honestly, it's like, I do think I had a childhood that was unlike other, other childhoods. And one of the things that, that was so beneficial and then Phil cut me off, this is too much, but one of the things that I loved, loved that my father was teaching the mind of, a seven-year-old, or a twelve-year-old, or a fifteen-year-old, and it's it's really hard to articulate, but I think it'll be worth the time. Is my father had me see that um, the world isn't just the way that it is, just because someone tells you that it is. Like it's movable, it's mm. flexible, it's it's you can go create what's going on. Uh, I can't even think of a great example, but it's like, I'm I completely mm-hmm. making this up, but it's like, hey, Blake, let's have some fun. Let's go talk to the, instead of just going and buying a movie ticket, let's go talk to the owner of the movie theater and say, hey, could we just watch a movie and get popcorn? And do you have any deals where there are um, no cost theater days today? Like, just talk to the owner and see if he will comp us for the day. Like something where there's, what my father wouldn't do, he'd play these games of like mm-hmm. how movable is life, right? Yeah. Like like how movable is life. But what was so brilliant with my father is his high level of integrity, and that this like this holding both of those things,
1: mm-hmm.
2: where it's like what my father would never do is he would never, in my opinion, he'd never sneak in the back door of a movie theater. He'd never say like, hey Blake, let's just let's just have a fun day at the movies and like kick the door open and like walk in and like that would be stealing. But what he would love to do is have conversations with people and move the world and see what we could do to like, how can we get, how can we go to the Suns arena and get in the practice court and talk to the players just by having a conversation with someone? Yeah. But he wouldn't lie. He would do it. And it's like this ability to say, Hey, listen there might be a piece of yellow tape there saying, stay out. But if you know who, how to talk to the right person, they'll welcome you with open arms and give you this big hug. But what you can't do is you can't cut the tape and then tape it back together and not tell anyone about it. You have to have integrity and you have to find out ways where it's like the world moves. But I'll always be honest in the way that you get the world yeah. to move.
1: Yeah, I mean, what I'm hearing there is like living in a way where most people see limitations, seeing possibility.
2: Yeah. And then I, I think where people get in trouble, where you hear these like, uh, for example, like these people who fly too close to the sun is they don't have the other portion of it, right? Right. Like they they see, and I wouldn't call it too much possibility, but what they do is they don't have integrity where they see yeah. too much ability. They bowl people over. They... They lie, they cheat, they steal. The balance yeah. that my father had with that and how he taught us, man, I will forever be grateful. Because as you grow up, at, you know, as a kid, that makes you actually feel really uncomfortable. It's like, dad, please just buy the ticket. Like, let's just, let's just go into the movie. Yeah. But as you grow up and you like have that in- inside you, it's like, then you have these different experiences where it's like, no, like you can shit, uh, shit yeah like shape things and create things and move yeah. things that things are movable it's like i will forever honor and love my dad for, for teaching me that concept
1: yeah i love that so we've spoken a lot about your dad about yourself and there, there's someone else i want to bring into this conversation before we complete amy hardison oh yeah so i'd love to hear you share a little bit more about what is it like to have amy as your mom
2: She's an angel. She's mm. an absolute angel. I can't tell you how much that, that woman is special. Anyone who ever gets a chance to just sit down and talk with her. So my mom, uh, is as special as they come. I will, when I drive home from work, a lot of the days, a lot of days I'll just pick up the phone and call her and just chat with her. She's the most delightful, pleasant, kind, um, peaceful woman that you will ever meet like what people are striving for as far as being at peace um, she has like she um, innately has
0: mm-hmm. That's,
2: um, she is divine like I I speak high more highly of a, a human being in this world than my mother she is I love her dearly She's, she's, she's one of a kind.
1: I really, really feel that. And I feel the divinity and, and just the love for your mother, but also the love of who your mother is. And yeah, I'm so glad you shared that. Like it's been such a, just such a beautiful experience to be here with you. Thank you for, for your time and for sharing everything you shared with us. Is there anything you'd like to say before we complete?
2: No, just, Philip, thank you for your time. Thank you for what you're doing. I really appreciate you.
1: Well, thank you, Blake. Yeah, I appreciate you too. If there's someone listening who's heard something and who wants to reach out to you and share any insight or remarks, what would be the best way for them to connect with you?
2: Uh, they could email me the best way is my email is b hardison bison blake h a r d i s o n at ikecre.com. dot com. That's i k e c r e dot
1: com. Thank you so much. Well, thank you all um, uh, to all our listeners. Special thank you for uh, being with us for another episode, and uh, I look forward to uh re-listening to this one, Blake. This is one um there are this is definitely one I, I want to go back and listen to. And um yeah, like I say, appreciate you, I appreciate your time. And uh especially appreciate for you being here and being sick at the same time. It's been marvelous. Thank you, Blake. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening. If you know someone who would benefit from today's conversation, please share this podcast with them. Also, we invite you to visit TheUltimateCoachBook.com so you can continue your personal exploration of being. There you will find links to join our wonderful community, get your own copy of The Ultimate Coach Book, and more. Simply go now to www.TheUltimateCoachBook.com That's www.TheUltimateCoachBook.com. The link is also available in the show notes. We appreciate your support. Be blessed. Be you.